listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Headlining the Super Bowl, I find that to be I find that to be an interesting story and fascinating. Now I'm a if you come into my office, one of the first things that you see is a picture. Actually, if you're if you're looking at the at the streaming feed, you can see on my wall of fame I have a picture of the Chronic, and the Chronic the Chronic did not age well, so. When I first heard The Chronic back in 1992 and you hear Snoop and you hear Dr. Dre and, and you hear you hear the, the, the West Coast G-Funk era, the videos, the the, the G-Think video where they're, where, they're playing, where they're playing beach volleyball and, and having the parties at the pool, we've never really seen anything like that. Like I'm, I'm from the hip-hop era with Public Enemy. A Tribe Called Quest, Jungle Brothers, De La Soul, Black Sheep, Queen Latifah, even like even like Naughty by Nature, even even the hood dudes from the East Coast had a little bit of consciousness to them. And when Dr. Dre came out, there was a lot of um, not so glorious language about our sisters. And all the West Coast stuff, whether it's Dr. Dre or Too Short, or Ice-T, a lot of people that were out in the, even Cypress Hill to, to a lesser extent, people from the West Coast were influenced by the Mac and Dolomite and all of the pimp movies, all the black exploitation movies. And you could hear that in the hip-hop music, that, that these are people that, that, that grew up watching Superfly. And there's a lot of disrespect for the women. It's in, in those black exploitation movies, women are in many, I mean, they're they're about pimping. It's, it's straight pimping. If you, Ice-T, for you young people, Ice-T, before Ice-T was getting three lines like Mike Epps clowned him for on Law & Order, you know, homicide called, three kids missing. Before Ice-T was on Law & Order SVU, Ice-T was like the biggest pimp rapper Ever. It's just talking about straight pimping. And in 1992, I was only 13, 14 years old. I was a young guy. I didn't really understand that. I'm from the burbs, man. I'm not from the hood. I didn't, I didn't, people wouldn't, people wouldn't, women that I knew growing up with, wasn't, they weren't walking the strip. I live in a gated community with white picket fences as, as, as a child. So to, to see, where the West Coast took hip hop was very interesting, and Dr. Dre, I'm not a I'm not a judgmental person because I don't I don't get in people's personal business, but he has he has a checkered past. He's been accused by Michelle A. and he's been accused by other people of being physically abusive towards women. Definitely the music, if you listen to the Chronic, which once again I said has not aged well. When the Chronic came out, 
it's probably the best it's probably the best hip-hop album that that had ever come out in 1992 i mean it was the most popular i think it sold seven eight nine platinum it might end up end up being a diamond album and it changed the structure of hip-hop for many years to, to come now dr dre is a fantastic and phenomenal producer his production and his use of of drums and clarity and almost like a symphony type of way that he laid his beats down, his sampling. He was next level with it where you had during that era, you had Wu-Tang, you had RZA, you had people that were doing real gritty stuff. DJ Premier was doing gritty stuff. Pete Rock, Pete Rock was a great producer sampling soul and melodies but Dr. Dre had more of that G-Funk, but it was a very crisp sound. And he was amazing. He was an amazing producer. But his reputation isn't, you know, is it, it's, it's questionable. And, and I listen, I always say hip-hop, part of the problem, I listen to it. I got, I got chronic on my wall of fame. I celebrate it more as a work of art and what it, and what it was. But there's a lot of disrespect for women. In that album, especially our sisters. And I basically learned how to swear and use the 10 letter and the 14 letter. And a whole bunch of other cascading profanity lace combos. I learned that from from listening to Chronic. And I heard that I was I was listening. I was driving around on a road trip and threw Chronic in. Maybe a year and a half ago. Right around the, the time of the pandemic starting in 2020. I was listening to that. I was like, man, this isn't, you know, in 2020, it's not really something that I want to listen to or or align myself with per se. So you got Eminem. You got Kendrick Lamar is going to be a part of that show. You got Snoop that's going to be a part of that show. I got Doggy Style. Doggy Style is on my, my wall of fame. I assume that 50 Cent's going to be a part of that because that's from the Dr. Dre death row tree. Dr. Dre signed Snoop and then he signed Eminem and Eminem signed 50 Cent. And they've produced fantastic hip hop music for many years, but it, it, it wasn't very uplifting. As I got a little older, I got more into, I'm more into the Kendrick Lamar's who's going to be performing at the Super Bowl as well. And I like Kendrick Lamar. He has the, the, the multiple, Point of view, he comes in, is a little bit more immature. Good Kid, Mad City. By the time he gets to Pippa Butterfly and the damn album, he's looking at it from more of an upliftment of the community perspective, and, and, and I like that. Other thing about Dre people don't like, he's done some anti-police records, especially during the NWA days. Now, I'm a little bit more... I understand his perspective. I don't necessarily agree. I don't have to agree with you to to discuss someone on the show. But the police brutality in Compton and Torrance and Long Beach and some of those places out in California was pretty bad during that era. And although I'm very pro-police, and if you listen to this show, I'm always supportive of the police here in Nashville. I understand how people that live in some of those communities could have a bad relationship and a bad view of, of police based on their experiences. I wouldn't create a song mfing policemen that's not my thing but i do understand how that's somebody else's point of view and just like i understand the thin blue line people that's their point of view and understand that viewpoint 
Speaking of police, speaking of death row, I was reading. I'm not now. I'm not a big fan of Sean King. Sean King, and if you don't know who Sean King is, if you listen mostly for the health cast, I'm trying to educate people in other walks of life. Sean King is an an African American activist. That he's really one of the the first major Twitter and Instagram activists. And he has millions of followers and, and he has a nonprofit and he uses his platform and he uses his name and his cachet to shed light on situations that are disenfranchising African-Americans, disenfranchising women. And he uses his platform for the most part. I think that he has good intentions. Now, people, whenever you're successful, people say, well, you know, he's stealing money from his charities and it's really all a scam and all that. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not a huge Sean King fan because he has a lot of collateral damage. Sometimes he'll get out on a story. It's just like with the Tom Brady retirement stuff where you had ESPN, you had people from, from ESPN reporting that Tom Brady had retired when that wasn't actually the case. And these people that want to do breaking news stories in all industries, they put stuff out there. They're trying to be the first to report something. So there have been times where Sean King has reported stuff where there have been African-American, especially African-American women who were murdered or had something heinous happen to them. And he blamed it on a white policeman or he blamed it on some white grifter or he blamed it on someone that actually, when you actually got into the case, come to find out this person was killed by an African-American gangster. So you're creating that narrative that every crime that happens is because of white supremacy and uh, and racism and institutionalized racism, where you'll hear me say, everything that happens in the world isn't because of racism. There's a lot of racism out there. But sometimes you're just doing something stupid. Sometimes you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And sometimes that other person isn't racist. You're just being a complete jackass. But one thing I want to agree with, with Sean King on as I get towards the break, he tweeted a couple weeks ago that he's filming a segment. So he's doing a, a, a documentary on Rikers Island up in New York, the famous Rikers Island. So if you, if you, if you remember Carlito's way, Sean Penn, the lawyer, he goes into Rikers Island and he's, I think I throw, I throw a movie clip of it. He goes into Rikers Island. He's meeting with the mob boss and, and the mob boss, he stole money from the mob boss. The mob boss is saying that, Hey, you're going to spring me out of prison. And here's the plan. We got the, we got the, we got a guard that's going to get me into the water. All you have to do is come through with your yacht and scoop me up. And Sean Penn is like, man, you know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, man. I can't, I can't. And he's like, Hey man, the contract's already on you. The guys, the guns, the line pit, everything's dug. I push one button. You're going to be here next Thursday to scoop me or else. So you got some really bad criminals in Rikers Island. Like that's not that's not a that's not a prison that you go to for tax evasion. You don't go to Rikers Island cuz you're behind on your parking tickets. You don't go to Rikers Island because you had a domestic dispute with your husband or wife. You don't go to Rikers Island for stealing a Snickers bar. That's you going in there because you because you because you off somebody, you blam somebody, or you were involved in some major nefarious activity. And Sean King says, I don't know if it's factual, but he he tweeted that the cost of incarceration at Rikers Island is a staggering five hundred and 
$56,539 per year per person, meaning that it's $1,525 a day for somebody at Rikers Island. And he makes the comparison, tuition, room, and board, if someone went to Harvard, it's $75,891 a year. So the cost is 8x as much to be in the prison industrial complex than to actually go to Harvard or an Ivy League school. And that's a major issue. If that, if that actually, if that number is accurate, that's a major issue. I've talked in this show many times about the prison industrial complex. And I want to get you into that. Uh, my man, Damon Leggett, used to come on the show. He used to talk about the prison industrial complex and how it is linked to schools. You got dropout factories in cities like Camden and Brick City. I'm born in Camden, Trenton, places like that. My man Damon's from New Jersey. And how the dropout factory high schools lead to the prison industrial complex, which lead to you being in Rikers Island and in that system. Once you get in that system, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to live on the outside. I just I found that number to be astonishing if that is accurate, that it costs that much to go to prison. We've got to, we've got to study that. I, think I, I got to bring in an expert about that. I'm going to be watching Sean King's documentary to verify if that's true. But that's, that's a sad state of affairs and, and kind of shows when you have these prisons that generate revenue and stuff like that. We, we're investing more in many of our Latinx and African-American and downtrodden communities and getting people into prison than actually getting people into college. And there are huge downstream impacts because of that. Lance J Show. Paragon, Paragon. 7, Seven. Studios. Studios.